Hey everyone, welcome to Coasters and Creators, the podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Johnston, and we talk growing your theme park focused brand across the socials. Each week we hear from influential creators as they give a behind the scenes look at what it takes to succeed in this ever growing and ever changing community. I recently had an opportunity to speak with Ted and Shane of the brand Parkeology. I kicked off the interview asking Shane about what Parkeology actually is. We have a, a lot of fondness for the nostalgia of Disney and a lot of interest in uh, how they do things and really a ton of interest in really minute topics of discussion. Um, in fact, just earlier today, we were having a pretty big conversation about the opening of Epcot Center TV special starring Danny Kaye, which um, it's like, who, who watches that kind of stuff today? But only only people are really obsessed with the history of Disney and, and the minutia of Disney would would be uh, interested in, in a cheesy television special from 1982. Um, but yeah, so, and then I think the other aspect of our brand is that uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously. I think, um, you know, we, we have all of this knowledge between the two of us and, and a lot of passion for it, but we also kind of have, hopefully, a bit of self-awareness about how uh, how ridiculous it can be in the grand scheme of things. You'll, you'll notice when we talk about the Parkology brand and how, how successful we are at, at building our brand, one of the core things we've managed to do throughout our entire time is that we never quite capitalize on any opportunity that's given us. So when you ask the question for an elevator pitch, we're totally unprepared for that. That's not be something. <laughs> I was looking at uh, the about section of parkeology.com and um, it says parkeology began in 2009 with three simple ideas to explore ancient theme park ruins, uncover lost relics from the past and geek out over the most obscure details. So that's probably a good summation of what parkeology is. You know, one thing I've always tried to do with guests we've had on the show is is talk about their story. Their theme park origin story is, is the best way to frame it. I feel like even today, my interest in theme parks was really formed by those early visits and my early perceptions of what I thought a theme park was. And it turns out Ted's um, experience was, was kind of similar to mine in, in some ways. Let's hear what he had to say. I happen to be, you know, nowadays I'm starting to feel old, but I happen to be born at the perfect time for a couple of big events. Like I was nine years old when Star Wars came out and, you know, I saw it on my ninth birthday and that was just like the perfect age for that. Same thing with Disney World opening up. Uh, it opened up when I was just a little baby, but by the time I was like seven years old or so, my dad had a business trip down to Orlando, which at the time was, you know, nothing like Orlando is today. Um, I'm surprised he even had a, a trip there because it really was, you know, a much, much smaller town. Uh, but somehow he ended up in some off time they had going to Disney World, I guess, because it was the big new thing. And I just very vividly remember him coming home and very excitedly, like, trying to explain this thing to our family, my brother, and my mom, and myself. And, you know, as a little kid, I, I couldn't process what he was talking about. It didn't, I had never been to anything like that. You know, we had been uh, to some, you know, regional amusement parks and so forth. But he's talking about, you know, haunted houses and this and that. And, I mean, it like, none of it made sense to me. 
but he put together a trip and a year or so later we went down there and it was right after Pirates of the Caribbean had opened up and he was trying to explain it to me and all I could, I, I'm thinking, why would anybody want to do this? I mean, we're going to go, he's telling me you go on this boat and there's pirates and there's skeletons and they're shooting at you and they're, they're trying, you know, and I'm just terrified. I'm crying. I didn't want to go on it. And we got on it, and within like a minute, I somehow understood. And then I just wanted to go on it again and again, and it was just that idea of entering a movie, you know, of entering a, a fantasy world that was tangible and, and tactile. Uh, it, it just really resonated with me. Uh Things that I really enjoyed at the time, like uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, which came out, you know, when I was a kid, or uh, Alice in Wonderland, which my parents read to me as a kid. It was like, oh, my God, this is now real. Like, I have entered this fantasy world, which is no longer on a screen or uh, on a page. I can interact with it and touch it and... uh, and then from that day on, it was just, you know, I became obsessed with it. This is um, Shane talking about how he formed an interest in theme parks at an early age. My interest in theme parks started through going to, to Disney World every year. It's a, sort of a family tradition, family vacation. We'd always drive down to Florida um, and end up staying or going to Disney one day a year. And I sort of felt that it started off as a routine, but obviously, you know, my formative years grew up in the in the 80s and and there's a pretty exciting time for for theme parks with the opening of Epcot and and that's I think what sort of made me fall in love with going to Disney um and and continued that tradition like all the way through you know like into adulthood so like um worked for a tiny for a very small amount of time at the parks um, right out of college had my honeymoon at Disney World uh now I've moved from the Midwest to Florida so I could be closer to the parks. So yeah, it's just sort of a, a lifelong thing. Yeah. So once I kind of realized that parkeology was a collaborative effort between Shane and Ted, the obvious question then was how did that collaboration come about? So Ted and I have been friends for a long time. Gosh, going back into the late nineties, we, we had met on an AOL chat board, believe it. I mean, this is people don't even know what those are anymore, but um, AOL was an old internet provider that and that was dedicated to this exact topic. Um, just talking all about Disney World, about the, the different details and uh, the history of it, and so forth. So we were we were friends online for a long time, and and the, the Parkology blog started after I moved to to Florida and was able to go to Disney more frequently. I just started saying I'm going to use this as a place to um, just capture my thoughts or my, my observations. Uh, I went and Ted short, I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't doing that very long before, um, you know, Ted also came on board because we both had the same mindset when it comes to this kind of stuff. So, and, and we persisted that way for, I don't know, probably five years, maybe uh, just like us, just writing about the things that interested us, making a lot of massive mistakes in how we marketed that <laughs> um, because we, we were really just sort of writing for our own interests. and 
So before Shane goes into talking about their actual content and Ted too, um, I, I wish I would have asked um, Shane and Ted about that collaborative effort and if there's ever any kind of friction between the two. Um, it doesn't sound like that's the case. It sounds like they're they're very much of, of one mindset, and that's probably why they've worked so well together for so many years. But I do wish I would have dug into that a little bit. Maybe we can on, on future episodes. Anyway, here is Ted and then Shane um, kind of going in depth about how they didn't really focus on trying to you know, optimize their content um, early on. Um, so we put no thought into whether or not anybody cared about what we were writing about. No thought into um, the things that people might see that might want them to read it, like uh, the headline. If you go back and look at our older archaeology articles, a lot of the headlines are pretty much inscrutable. You won't be able to tell what the article's about because we're just trying to amuse ourselves. I think it's it actually goes beyond that, Shane. I think we were... And in in a certain way, there's a charm to this that I still hold on to. As Shane just said, we were writing just for our own interest. There wasn't, there was no big picture here of turning it into anything or anything else. It was just an outlet to share ideas. And as part of that, the, I don't know what the exact opposite of search engine opti- opti- optimization is. Did I say that right? I still messed that up. SEO. I don't know what the exact opposite of that is, uh, but that's what we would do. So our our headlines would be, you know, I, I'll give you my favorite example. This is, uh, in many ways, this crystallizes our approach <laughs> in in a comedic and fumbling way. So Tokyo Disney Sea is a, a fantastic park, probably my favorite park. And one of the great rides there is Journey to the Center of the Earth. And I noticed on a visit that they had installed umbrella holders on the sides of the vehicles, which is a very Japanese kind of thing to do because the Japanese are very thoughtful and, and considerate and guests are carrying umbrellas. And so they gave them a storage thing. So I wrote a little blog post, a nothing little blog post about, hey, isn't it cool? They now have umbrella holders and they're really nicely themed and here's a photo of it. Now, I think most blogs or, or people trying to get this out so people might find it would probably call that article something like Umbrella Holders Now Installed at Tokyo Disney Sea. We called it Mustard Application Now Easier Than Ever. Now, why? Because in our convoluted way of getting there, Rolls Royces have built in umbrella holders. And there was an old ad for a fancy mustard called Grey Poupon that featured two Rolls Royces pulling up next to each other and one rich guy, like, you know, eating a shrimp cocktail or something in the back of his, uh, you know, limousine looks over and, and rolls down the window and says, Excuse me, do you have any Grey Poupon? And because Rolls Royces and sharing mustard and some tenuous connection between umbrellas, the whole first part of the article talks about Rolls Royces and Grey Poupon before eventually getting to the umbrella holders. Um, 
So anybody in the world who would ever, like, let's say there's eight people again out there, our, our same eight hardcore fans, and somebody does a little search in Google for uh, umbrella holders on Tokyo Disney Sea, the one article in the world about that on Parkeology, they won't find because we've buried it behind mustard application. So, you know, we're not saying this is the way you should do this. In fact, it's absolutely the opposite. But it does represent who we are, which I think ultimately what I'm really saying is we do stuff out of passion because we find it funny. Most of the time when I'm writing something, I'm simply trying to make Shane laugh. Um, it, it may end up that, oh, wow, look, you know, 20,000 people reacted to this tweet and that's awesome. But I wasn't ever trying to get 20,000 people to like it. I was trying to basically get one guy to like it. So I completely feel what um, Ted is talking about. And it may actually be the main problem that this podcast is trying to solve from my perspective. A lot of what I want to do is it's like my natural it's like my natural instinct is to produce something that that I like. Most of the time it's just something to make me laugh and I don't really and I want to say that I don't really care if anyone else finds it funny. The problem is the platforms we use, everybody we interact with in the community, it's hard to get away from the idea that the whole goal is to you know, put out content that you get feedback on that people like. And a problem is kind of the same way uh, with Shane and Ted, where they may find things funny or they may have like really, really, really niche interests. Then you kind of find this, you, you have this conflict between do I, do I um, continue with, you know, doing things I like and just being okay with that? Or do I try to find some common ground between, my interests and then, you know, more broad interests to try to um, drive engagement. So that's where you find yourself. It's easy to kind of start off with, and you'll hear Shane and Ted talk about it in just a second, where it, it is easy to begin that way, but it's almost natural instinct to want feedback and that, you know, almost that acceptance at some point. Like nobody wants to just keep doing something over and over and have nobody read it or, or see what you're doing. I mean, at some point you feel like you're just shouting into the dark, so. Um, and so it's, it is nice. It gives you that nice little feedback. It, it's nice when people respond to what you're writing or what you're putting on social media. And the inclination is that now people are listening. So you kind of want to keep giving them more of, of what you're, what you're about. Um, and I, I think that something we've really focused on, um, over the last year and a half, two years, maybe is trying to do more regular postings on, on social media. I say we, I've like done it for the last six months. Ted kind of was carrying most of the load there for a while, but, um, and we've seen like our numbers grow, which is like, it's a fun thing to watch to see like, Oh, more people are following us. More people are liking us. I don't think we're in it just to do that, but it is kind of a nice validation that we people enjoy what, what we're putting out. Yeah. When, when you're on the blog, it's just, you know, you might have some people leave responses. That's always nice, but there's really no metric to follow or understand how many people have actually seen this. There are some rudimentary ways to do it, but it very much feels like you've just sort of sent this thing out into the ether and maybe somebody sees it, maybe they don't. Whereas on, you know, social media, you know, it's, it's instantaneous reaction. And, you know, that's like Shane said, that's not our goal, but 
you know, we're humans and it's nice to feel like, oh, people have actually seen this and understand it. And, you know, that drives you to keep doing it. So Shane and Ted are the first bloggers I've had on Coasters and Creators. And I kind of wanted to know in 2023, where does blogging kind of fit into their content strategy? And how does it work with and interact with the content they're producing on uh, the socials? The great thing about the blog is it's sort of a repository of all of these ideas and thoughts and and silly stories and stuff over the years. Uh, and what we like about the blog is it's a sort of a permanent record of this stuff, whereas social media is, you know, it doesn't even last 30 seconds so much, 30 years. Um, however, over time, I think we have shifted a bit more focus on new social media, especially in the last, uh, several years, uh, with a, a, a emphasis on it this year in particular. Um, and it's not because we, you know, like it better. And in fact, in many ways, we probably do prefer the blog, but the blog goes, months and at a time without updates because it's it's a a lot more of a effort let's say um and also the world has just shifted you know people's attention spans even just in the last heck you know i you want to say the last 10 years or the last 15 years but i mean really even in the last couple of years you know you you can see a a marked shift to uh you know people's attention spans like if i guess what i'm saying here is we'll we'll put together a blog post that you know might take us days to put together some of these things and they're you know long and and in some cases in depth and you know there might be eight people out there who really understand what we're trying to do and really appreciate it Whereas on social media, it's little bites of nugget nuggets of information that uh, that people can enjoy, and and so we've definitely shifted, uh, you know, with some targets to to grow some of the social media platforms. So as Ted and Shane move away from just to focus on the blog, to focus on uh, some social media too, um, does that change their strategy? Does it change the goals? Um, you know. On the blog, they just kind of post what they want to post, and that's kind of how it works. Um, social media, they're going to try to move toward um, growing based on what's popular, the content that's trending, that kind of thing. Well, you have to make a choice, and Shane and I discuss this a lot, and I'll, I'll let him uh, go on in further depth about it. But you have to make a choice. Are you going to pander to the what we would call the mainstream? And, you know, and there's great amount of information out there that is all solid and good. But it's like you said, it all basically does the same thing. Like, hey, which is better, a Dole Whip or a Churro or whatever? And that's easy to lock on to and, and you'll drive numbers. But that just doesn't interest us. You know, so you have to decide, are you doing something that is... Uh, because you're passionate about it and you love it and you might have a unique take on it, or are you doing it just to, you know, to, to get views? No, it's good. at the end of the day, I think we're happy if people, if people find the stuff that we like or gain some sort of insight from, from our 
you know, weird perspective of the world. I think that's kind of what we're in it for. Um, it's not necessarily to like capture the biggest audience possible, but that of the things that we're interested in, that audience is not going to be super large to begin with, right? I, hopefully it's bigger than the eight people did keep talking about, but um, I think it'll be, I, I think it's just about finding those like-minded people and, and joking around and, and just celebrating those things that we love. So one of the things that's kind of tough for people like me who've been in the theme park community for a long time, um, it is those social media posts, especially on Instagram. Hey, did, did you know that there are, you, you know, Utilidors underneath the um, Magic Kingdom? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head as to uh, long convers- conversations Shane and I have about exactly that. Things that we might never consider posting because it's just, it, it, it's, it, it's beginner level. I mean, it's super, super obvious. And then to us, and then for some reason that it'll get posted and all of a sudden it'll have a huge reaction and people will love it and they'll respond to it. And um, it's a it's a constant balancing act to say like, well, how do we remain true to ourselves, right? We don't want to put out there just repeat stuff that in within our community would, would feel almost patronizing. But at the same time, our, you know, some of our posts might reach a far wider audience than the proverbial eight people who generally follow us. So, you know, how do you appeal to those people without insulting the more knowledgeable people? They go on to talk about internally how they handle this, how they classify their different content types. I'm going to give you a little insight to the, 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 our minds and, you know, something directly pertaining to what you're talking about. So at one, some point we realize exactly what you're talking about between a more mainstream post and a, a more niche that might actually be more interesting to us post. And we decided to sort of split our posts into two broad groups one of them is just more of a general knowledge mainstream post, frankly, a little bit more pandering to a broader audience. And then the more niche posts, which we tend to balance, we try to do one of each a day, but sometimes it doesn't work out exactly like that. The more niche note uh, posts we call Roths, R-O-T-H, Roths. It's, it's the exact uh, thing we were talking about with where our sensibilities lie. Roth is code name for J.D. Roth, who is the host of Walt Disney World Inside Out, which is an old Disney Channel show from what late 90s. So basically, the idea is that nobody knows who J.D. Roth is. And so that's a perfect thing for, the, for, these, um, for these posts. If, if you know who J.D. Roth is, that post is probably targeted to you. So, and typically that's where our knowledge, like we're, we're, we're most excited about posting is that type of content. Well, also the, the very first Roth post or IE super niche insider post was in fact about JD Roth. 
So one thing I'm always interested in, I guess because I kind of struggle with it myself, is do creators know who their audience is and how much of a handle do they have um, on those demographics? Uh, our audience tends to be uh, late middle-aged women. Now, I don't... <laughs> I'm making that up. I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's, it's Disney Park fans that, that are obsessed with this stuff is, is ultimately what all of our metrics show us. Um, the... It's tough to know, you know, there's the reach, which is who sees it, right? And then there's the there's the audience of people that are actually engaging with it and want to want to see more of those types of contents. Like your thought, the people that will follow you on social media or people that will like you or subscribe on the blog. Um, they definitely tend to be a, a, a niche group of just like super park fans. Like we're not going to get the typical people who want to know like um, – just how to plan a vacation to Disney World, you know, like how do I how do I work the dining plan or how you know what hotel has the best pool? We're not going to get th- that type of audience. We're only going to get the people that are really excited about uh, the detailing and the history of it. Um, but and I think that's what when something uh, catches like that, it, it's that's I think what keeps us going. Um, you know, we might we might have a post that could go or tweet that goes to 70,000 people. And um, if it translates into people following us, then that's a successful post. If it, if it just goes out to 70,000 people and, you know, they sort of like it and move on, then it's probably not our core type of content. I think that we do our audience realistically though, does skew a little bit older uh, because so much of our content comes from our nostalgia and, our experiences you know i worked at disney world when i was 18 and 19 i you know and that goes back to the 80s right i uh you know we've been going there in my case since the 70s uh so if you write about that stuff and it would be you know like i can use my daughter who's 18 as a barometer you know like if I go back too far, she just has no idea what it's about. And it, it doesn't mean that she won't find it interesting, but it won't really resonate with her. However, if you're a 45 year old guy and you remember, oh uh, yeah, you know, fill in the blanks back in, in 1986, I remember that, uh, you know, that stuff's going to resonate with you. So as much as we would love to have, you know, high school guys and you know be into into following our content the reality is if you're being nostalgic about the 80s and 90s you probably have to have lived through the 80s and 90s so i think the point that ted is making here and i think it's the most interesting thing for me is that you really have to take a hard realistic look at what you can do and who you can market to based on uh, some combination of who you are what you enjoy and the content that you produce. So the past six months, we very specifically have been focusing on, you know, this is actually funny in its own right. It's sort of telling of, of how parkeology works. We decided to focus on Twitter right before Elon Musk buys it and implodes the whole thing. So um, that's just sort of, uh, of course that would happen if, if that's what we focus on. Um, 
But it is interesting. When we started to focus on Twitter and, and started to try to crack the algorithm a little bit and, and what makes something successful or not successful in terms of a tweet, I think we've done a pretty good job. I mean, we, we you know, if you go back a year ago, we might be a, a quote, successful tweet to us may have had a reach of, you know, several thousand people. And now we routinely can get 40, 50, 80, sometimes over 100,000 people, even over 200,000 people is, is, you know, within reach. And, uh, you know, that's much, much, much larger, you know, exponentially larger than before we really started to try to understand the inner workings of why Twitter seems to push some posts and not others. So one thing about coasters and creators, I really like to come out of every episode with some sort of, uh, with a takeaway for you. And so when Ted said, hey, we focused on Twitter as a strategy, I really wanted to know, you know what did that actually mean? You have to do it every day. Yeah, you, you, you literally have to tweet. I, You know, they don't release anything. They don't tell you how the algorithm works. But I, I can tell you one thing. We have speculation about a lot of stuff. But one thing I know as a fact is you have to do it consistently. If you don't do it consistently, it really almost doesn't matter what you're posting or, or anything else. If you're, you, you got to teach that algorithm that you're active and you're out there and you're actively participating in the community. And it, it will start pushing you if you do that. So this is the first time, as I mentioned before, that we have um, a brand that's basically built around the idea of blogging on the show. But here's Ted and Shane talking about kind of their process behind how they write posts for Parkeology. It's a really complicated peer-reviewed submission process that <laughs> I think it. I think our process is some goofy idea pops into your head and you sit down and write a, a thing about it. Chain has actually been uh, kind of had a little streak going recently. I've not posted a, an actual blog post for a while. So why don't you tell them about the uh, Jolly Wheeler, Shane, and, and, and what that process was about? Yeah, so this, you know, this isn't exactly typical. I'm watching uh, some Epcot special and if there's a flyover helicopter shot um the United Kingdom Pavilion and World Showcase, and I see it. I don't. What looks like an abandoned dock on the waterfront of the United Kingdom behind the Rose and Crown Pub, and I think, what is that dock? And I ask Ted what it is, and he makes up some story about how there used to be a, the, a ship called the Jolly Wheeler that was out there that was in the early years of the park, and it was planned and everything, and they used to do little uh, tours around World Showcase and that thing. Um, turns out I was just Ted making all that up. There was no actual ship there. It looks like it's just a, an artifact left over from design that maybe at some point was intended to have a ship. But uh, that's the sort of stuff that interests us. So it ended up as a blog post on the blog. Um, and I mean, that, that is literally what the blog is. We don't put, um, again, we're, we're trying to write on the blog mainly to amuse ourselves and to, to talk about the things that interest us. But it's... Um, I think we're a lot more deliberate in the social media content than we ever were with the blog content. Like we never used to ask, does anybody care about this thing that I'm writing? 
Whereas we do try to, like we mentioned the two categories on social media, we do try to think of things that other, like that might have more mainstream appeal um, so that we can at least post something about that every day. So I'm kind of following up with the same question that I, that I have asked everyone that comes on the show, you know, what's, where do you go from here? And here's what Ted and Shane had to say. I think in typical archaeology fashion, our plans are uh, very nebulous at this point about where we, where do we go from here? Um, you know, we are both famous. We, we talk about many things, all the things you mentioned. We talk about a podcast or a YouTube channel or, or, or other park challenges or other things that we could do um, with the blog and so forth. And, and while we have all of these ideas, I mean, the, the key is that it takes time and it takes commitment to do all of them. So, um, you know, I, I, it's probably accurate to say that sometimes we just tend to fall back on what is easiest to just keep the, the ball rolling and not let things just totally die off. But um, I think it's also it's also fair to say that who knows what the future might be. Like maybe we will at some point get really motivated by one delayed by a new platform or a new idea and, and go off on that journey. I do think that there are, uh, you know, we do have some internal goals that, that, Chain and I discuss amongst each other, and uh, we're on target to to reach those goals. These are things that are uh, the, the goals are are currently more social media oriented. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, once we we hit those goals that we don't kind of expand a little bit. You know, Shane is down in Florida. I live in Chicago, so it's if I was down there and able to go into the parks the way Shane is. And, you know, someday that may happen. Uh, I think you would see, uh, you know, we would probably at that point shift gears and, and start doing a lot more, uh, you know, vlog type of, of posting and, and head in that direction. So anytime you get to talk to somebody like Ted and Shane who've been doing what they've, what they've been doing for a number of years now, um, I always have to ask, you know, what's the, what's the key to the drill? What's, um, how do you keep going? What advice do you have for someone that wants to do the same thing? It's literally just like with anything in the world, anything at all. You, you just have to do it, right? I mean, you did, like if you're going to ski down that hill, you can stand at the top of the mountain and discuss it and plot out your course and stuff all you want. But at some point, you've got to push yourself off the thing and ski down the hill. And you're going to fall and you're going to get up and you're going to make it down and then you're going to understand Oh, that's what skiing's about. So the next time you do it, you're going to be a little bit better at it. Um, we do it because it's something we enjoy and it's fun. But even if we had more grandiose plans about turning it into a, a real business and so forth, I really think the same parameters apply. You, you have to; it has to be something that you care about. If there's one thing that I've learned in life: you will always fail unless you are doing something that you care about, right? So if, if you said, hey, Ted, start blogging about, uh, you know, Knott's Berry Farm, I, you know, I sure, I would be better at that than the average person, but I ultimately don't really care about Knott's Berry Farm. So, you know, you got to do something you care about, and then you just have to do it, you know, and everything else just sort of falls into place. So we've heard that advice before on Coasters and Creators, but I, I think it's good just to continue to remind that is probably the best advice you can give someone. 
when it comes to, you know, pursuing something that you want to do. What's the saying? If you wait till you're good at something, uh, you'll never do it. We ended talking about my favorite theme park subject, Epcot. So no one, no one is, I mean, who else are, could be considered experts in the field of theme park history more so than, than Ted and Shane? And so I asked them what they thought about the, the current state of my favorite theme park, Epcot. For years, I always thought of Epcot as this, this really weird cell, right? Like it's, it's not at all like what Magic Kingdom is. Uh, it's, not a, it's not as focused in its theme as like what even Disney Engine Studios was or Animal Kingdom where they have these very clear motifs that are going into the park. Epcot's <laughs> a weird word made up by Walt Disney. It's a it's kind of got two weird halves of the World Showcase and the Future World. Um, it wasn't until I was like older that I kind of understood. Oh yeah, that's sort of what World Fairish used to be. But to me, it was always a very um, very unique concept uh, it, for, to build a theme park around. And I don't. It does, it's just not that anymore. It's much more like much more like Magic Kingdom, where you see a lot more IP coming into it. Um, they, they still try to, I think, pay a lot of lip service to the, the educational aspect of it. Um, but it's not forward. It, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't have that forward, uh, futuristic vision of things. It's more of like these are some entertaining stories that kind of fit into the pavilions that were already there. Epcot, to me, original Epcot, you know, holds an incredibly special place in my heart. Like I was saying, I was the perfect age for Star Wars. I was nine years old. I was 14 when Epcot opened, and I was there at its opening. And uh, I bought the Abrams book about Epcot, the the real version of it, the big, thick one that came out before Epcot opened that was just filled with concept art. And I had saved up money from like cutting lawns and stuff, and I bought that thing, which was like... 40 or 50 bucks or something in like 1981. I mean, it's like a lot of money. And uh, I just poured over that. To this day, that physical copy of that book, the the book that I personally owned, own and owned, uh, is like one of my most valuable physical possessions. Uh, Because it just, it represents such optimism and such excitement. Um, and, you know, Epcot, the Epcot that I still think of as Epcot is obviously gone. Um, the weird ass kind of like Frankenstein together thing of, you know, the previous 10 years ago, uh, 10 years past or so, um, that's a park that I really didn't recognize. Um, and it was often depressing to me to go there and see just the weird state that it was in. I appreciate that they are at least on some level attempting to, you know, revive the park and have some kind of uniformity to it. But of course, you know, World Showcase is fine, but what what was once Future World and really what I thought of Future World was always what I thought of as Epcot, you know, World Showcase. At some point in time, it flip-flopped and World Showcase, you know, I think because people like to go there and get drunk, World Showcase somehow became like what people think of as Epcot. But to me, it'll always be Future World. And 
what's there now and Moana, you know, water parks and Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. This stuff's all fine. I don't want to be the, you know, old guy screaming, get off my lawn. Um, but it it's just a shame that people today will just simply never be able to understand what that original Epcot was, what it represented, what it felt like to be there, how each of the pavilions worked in unison to create an overall picture. Um, it, it was, you know, on its mania, it can't exist outside of the 80s. I don't know. This episode of Coasters and Creators is sponsored by me, Next Stop Aaron Travel Planning. If you're planning a theme park vacation to Disney World, Disneyland, Universal Orlando, reach out to me at Next Stop Aaron on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or visit nextstopaaron.com to let me help you book your next theme park vacation.